When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the post-Minnesota Vikings Detroit Lions Purple Daily Podcast version. Matthew Collar, Judd Zolgad, Judd 42-30. to And I think we have to begin by calling Kevin Stefanski uh, Pat Shermer with a better quarterback because today it reminded me very much of the play calling in 2017 by Pat Shermer where he seemed like the puppet master with all the weapons were his strings and as long as his quarterback didn't throw the game away the Vikings offense would look great except for this quarterback Judd can really throw the football so when guys are running open and he's asked to execute plays he can do it at an extremely high level and given the time to throw Kirk Cousins has been absolutely magnificent over the last three games and really five out of seven games so far this season and I think uh, you know the key starts there with Stefanski not only helping Cousins find wide open receivers down the field but he also seems to have helped scheme his offensive line to have a lot more success and maybe that's partly due to the Detroit Lions losing some players up front but almost no pressure on Kirk Cousins all day and this is what that man can do when he has no pressure and the right scheme and playmakers all over the field. Last three games now, if I'm not mistaken, for Kirk Cousins, 10 touchdowns, one pick. And by the way, that was basically tipped off Diggs' face mask. Right. So it's not Kirk's fault there. I got a question for you um, because you're right. The Falcons game, now I think he threw 12 passes, but he was absolutely fine there. Um, The Oakland game, same thing. Obviously struggled in the Green Bay game and the Bears game especially. But here's my question. And I'm starting from from not just a Kirk standpoint. I'm starting from a play-calling scheme standpoint. Starting with that Giants game, who or what do you think changed things? Because there has definitely been a common-sense approach since then where you say, of course, this all makes sense. I mean, they are now doing collars. So many of the things that we talked about the day that Kubiak got this job, right? Because if you do these things, they're all going to work. And then it was like sort of those first three or four games that at times you were like, "Why, why aren't they doing those things? But today, Irv Smith. Rudolph, the run game, the pass game. It's as if somebody, and I don't know if this starts with Zimmer or with Kubiak or Stefanski, it's as if somebody flipped the common sense switch and said, you know what, let's start to run the offense that really makes sense. And the last three games have been really impressive. Well, I think that they've had the design right for the most part outside of Green Bay. I would be critical about what happened in Green Bay for sure. But aside from that, 
in Chicago, there were people running open all over the field and Cousins could not get the ball out of his hands and then started to panic a bit because he felt the walls closing in on him. But when you looked at the tape, there were receivers open. The same plays that they've made in these last three games were there in Chicago. It just didn't happen. And that's why when I was sitting next to Sage Rosenfels in the press box for that game, he kept slapping me on the arm every time there was a throw that Cousins should have made and I had a bruise by the end of the game. Uh, but now he, he's been able to find those receivers open in part because the pass rush is just not impressive uh, the same way it was against Chicago. There are very few teams that have Khalil Mack. Someone like Trey Flowers is a good player. They did a great job against the Eagles defensive line. Um, and it seems that maybe there was some adjustments up there to how they have helped out their blockers. And I think a big part of it, too, is in Chicago, they didn't run the ball. And I don't think that you need to run the ball really well to get those play action plays. Where I do think running the ball helps a ton is third down and short. Several times in this game, we saw them get to third and one, third and two, third and three, and then they could just keep moving the sticks. So I think it's the culmination of a lot of things. It's a it's a design out of an offense that has worked for a very, very long time in the NFL with Gary Kubiak. It's Kevin Stefanski being on the younger side, the more progressive side, the very detailed side of studying these other things that offensive coordinators do. Like, I'll give you a good example. That Adam Thielen touchdown. They run him in motion right before the play, and it's a deep crossing route. But running him in motion just causes the defense that slight bit of confusion and they have him run that deep crossing route cousins reads the safety as soon as the safety steps up he throws it right over him they've done this play a bunch of times but when you add that little wrinkle that little motion there it just makes it that much harder for a defense and so it's like Stefanski took Kubiak's offense that's worked since I don't know when the 90s and he said well well let's do these modern things to it and, and then let's just have this quarterback execute it. It looks a lot like Matt Ryan in 2016. It looks a lot like what the 49ers uh, have done out with Kyle Shanahan. It looks a lot like Jared Goff when he's been at his best. I mean, we know that Jared Goff is a good example of a quarterback who can be really great when things are going his way and not great when they're not. I think Cousins is very similar, and when the play caller is pulling the right strings, I think this is the result. And what happened in Chicago is – a very tough situation with a great defense with all world types of players and a really tough place to play. Ford Field a lot different. The last couple of weeks a lot different. The Giants and Eagles. But this one I think was more legit though. I, I think this one told us more that this offense can work not just against the really bad teams but also a team that has some talent and a decent defensive mind on the sideline there. Yeah, and the thing too is, is this. If you look at the Vikings' upcoming schedule, because fans are going to say, well, can this offense keep this up, keep this up? I say, look at the defenses that they're going to face. It's not like you get the uh, steel curtain and right. then you get the 85 Bears and then you get the uh, the Vikings front from 1974. So it, the answer, I think, is yes. And and now, is it going to work every time? Probably not. They're going to struggle, but and I get that. But I give Cousins, too, a ton of credit because this is a guy who, after that Bears game, to me, looked completely mentally lost as yep. well. And I said to myself, he can recover, but, boy, it's going to be, be tough. And I didn't say that because Kirk lacks the ability to make passes. He doesn't. But what I said was, Kirk right now looks like a guy who is mentally in his own head constantly and doubting himself and really looks rough. And so for him to come back off that and now put together three consecutive uh, games 
And I was the one who, after the Giants game collar, basically said, show me more. I want more. Yeah. Well, guess yep. what he did? Philadelphia. And, and we could talk all we want. The Eagles secondary is not good. I get that. But he showed me again. And then today, go on the road. So at some point in time, guys like me have to stop and say, okay, it, it'd be nice to see this kept up consistently, but this is also just flat-out damn impressive. Well, and I got a few notes about that today. Of Well, Darius Slay went out, which I think was a factor, uh, even though Justin Coleman is a very good cornerback too, but Darius Slay going out. Uh, Snacks Harrison getting hurt early in that game definitely allowed the Vikings to have more success in the running game than maybe they would have if Snacks Harrison is in. But each week we can go and, and sort of make up the reason, well, this team's not very good. Well, this team, they had a backup corner, and well, well, this team had a little bit of injuries. Well, tell me how many teams in the NFL are going to come into a game when they have everybody healthy and they have Pro Bowl players all over the field and they have a great defensive play call. Like, there won't be very many of those games throughout a 16-game season. And we might get to the end and they might be in the playoffs and we might be saying, well, you know, they did lose a couple of those games to key opponents, so I don't know if they can do it in the playoffs. But the schedule just doesn't suggest that this is going to slow down anytime soon. This Thursday, you have Washington, which, you know, Washington has some good defensive players, but that's a game you should easily win. And, you know, I mean, even some of the teams in the division here now with, uh, you know, Green Bay's defense is, is tough, but it's not perfect. And the Bears have Akeem Hicks out now. So the same thing with their defense. It's tough, but it's not as tough as it was um, last season. And they've got to come to your place. So, you know, it, it seems to me like this strategy and this combination of the weapons they have, the investment they made in those weapons on the offensive side, the play caller, it really is like they righted all the wrongs from last year. And you go back to training camp. This is the way we felt coming out of training camp. This is what we expected this offense to look like coming out of camp. I don't know how many days where we were on in the summer and I said to you, this is right. This looks right. It looks like it works with the DeFilippo and and the offensive line was a mess and they had the number three receiver out there all the time when the guy couldn't play at all. And it just last year in camp, we knew there were going to be problems. This time we looked at the number of offensive weapons and the surprise of BC Johnson emerging as a good receiver, despite being like fifth on the depth chart before today steps up and is good at second. I mean, that needs to happen too. Irv Smith was a question mark. I'm ready to say Irv Smith is a really damn good football player. I mean, he can block. He could get open. He ran a really great route today, 20 yards down the field to be wide open. Everything, and this is why I mentioned 2017, everything feels like it's coming together here with this offense. And just like in 2017, Case Keenum wasn't sacked a whole lot. Kirk Cousins, if you go back to 2016, now he did have a really good offensive line that year, but they ran a very similar offense was only sacked 23 times that season. This year, not sacked today, only sacked 12 times in now seven games, which is really good compared to 40 last year. I think everything is playing a factor in to why this is not only working over the last three games, but can also continue to work as we go forward. And this is why, to me, the first four games and the inconsistency through the Chicago game that this team experienced offensively was surprising because these conversations go back to March Kubiak got this job, and we all said this is going to work. And and here's what here's what I like too, draft wise. It feels like now with, with how we're seeing this things unfold, Mike goes and tells Rick draft th these guys for my defense, and it really feels like offensively, and as certainly Bradbury's play 
has improved, it seems like, especially the past three games or so. But Absolutely. Um, but it feels like Kubiak now de- definitely had, had an influence on Rick in that draft room. And the B.C. Johnson pick, again, gets back to what I find to be such an intriguing conversation, and that is you can find receivers late. I mean, this is a seventh-round pick, and it, it, it was embarrassing because the Fox guy, Spielman, and his play-by-play partner were talking about, oh, BB's out, and I guess they're going to have to put Treadwell in, and you're like, no, B.C. No, Johnson's they're good. Not. B.C. Johnson's really good, right. and this kid, he works hard. He's really, really good. And Irv Smith is, I think, an outstanding talent. And so it's like it's like Kubiak gave Spielman the grocery list and basically said, these guys fit what I want to do. And the last three games again, it's been it's been fantastic. But I do think why we were a little bit confused through four games was we knew to your point about training camp, Matthew, that this could exist, that this potential was there. And you sort of said. Why aren't we seeing it? And then starting with the Giants game, a, a switch got flicked almost. And starting with that game, it was like, this is exactly how it's supposed to play out. Well, and I think it's worth saying, too, that Stefan Diggs has put the money where the mouth was or where the skipping practice was. Uh, he's come out, and I know he dropped a ball today that was questionable. I thought Justin Coleman got his arm just as the ball was getting there. So it was a drop, but it wasn't the most egregious drop I've ever seen. But you mentioned the ball hitting off his face mask. There was a fumble. He has not been perfect. And some stuff has been a little uncharacteristic of what we've seen from Diggs. But that just tells you how ridiculously high he's set the bar over the last few years that if he drops a couple of passes or fumbles, which happens to almost every receiver in the NFL, we go, wow, what's wrong with Diggs? But you look at his overall production and what he's done since he made those comments and what the passing game has done, and you have to acknowledge that Diggs was right. Like, getting the ball to those guys has been absolutely huge for this offense. It's been game-changing. I think it opens up the running game. I've always looked at it as if you can pass the ball – then that makes it a lot easier to be able to run because then they have to respect the pass. They have to slow play those handoffs. And then when you get a lead, you can have, like they did today, Delvin Cook plow over them for a touchdown, for example. But trusting Diggs to throw the ball downfield to him to make plays like they did at the end of that game, I mean, I mean that to me is also the key factor of, I don't know if anybody went to Diggs and said, look, we want to make you happy. We're going to throw you the ball a lot more often, just keep at it or not I don't know if they did but in their in what they've done out on the field they did they've said look we're going to make sure you're getting the big plays and we're going to make sure we're going down the field to you and that's the right way to do it that's how it was in 2017 they loved to run the ball for sure but they made sure they were going downfield to Diggs and Thielen and if they continue to do that I think today is great evidence that even with really good corners Darius Slay and Justin Coleman were covering Diggs He can beat them. It just doesn't matter if you have that guy and you're throwing to him uh, on a regular basis. So I don't I mean, I I just look at it as everything that um, was going wrong through the first couple of weeks or that didn't sort itself out has sorted itself out now. And like you said about B.C. Johnson, the fact that they are also sort of having guys pop up is a product, I think, of. The, the the draft, the development, and the position they've put players to be in from a play-calling standpoint. And, and you've said this about Cousins for a long time, that he's the quarterback who will do exactly what he's asked to do when he's asked to do it and not much more. Well, 
If you're asking him to throw to wide open receivers down the field and you're giving him seven guys who can make catches and make plays, even Kyle Rudolph shows up today and he's going to be reliable when you find him. I mean, if you're giving him that many people, that's that's these are all the things he had in 2016. He had all sorts of weapons. He had a scheme like this that relied on play action rollouts, and he was nearly a 5,000 yard receiver and or, or I mean quarterback. And that's pretty much exactly what we're seeing right now. It, it honestly, it's been very impressive. And if you were holding off after last week because the Eagles' defense was bad, I think now it's time to say, you know what, this can be a top 10 or better offense. The thing that's good, though, is, and Kirk, and I don't get this, and it makes no sense, but Kirk's touch on short passes is questionable. It's not great. The BC Johnson touchdown was a nice catch by Johnson because Kirk almost screwed that play up. Conversely, though, the thing that impresses me is, even in coverage, Kirk's touch on deep passes, his deep ball placement is incredible. Yep. Think about it. He finds guys, and yes, he's got uh, – Thielen and he's got digs and he's got some really good uh, weapons out there. But if you think about Kirk's ability when told, we need you to go deep, it's pretty damn good and consistent. And so, again, I like the fact that this now is morphing to it all makes sense and it's smart. And does that mean that Kirk Cousins is going to Canton? Absolutely not. But it does mean that, that they have they have now come back to a formula that definitely works. And instead of trying to get funky and weird and appease Mike, it, it was almost as, as if those first three or four games where Mike wants to run the ball, so we got to run the ball, we got to run the ball, we got to run the ball. And that's fine to run the ball. Dalvin Cook is a great player. I love him. But to appease Mike w- was odd. And it was almost like starting with the Giants game that they said, okay, the run is important. But you know what? On first down, we've got to pass too because we're not do- doing that. And if Diggs... If Diggs and, and his wildcat two-day strike somehow changed the dynamic there, good for him because it definitely, since then, has gotten back to it makes sense, the run is important, Dalvin Cook is massively important, but you're not just saying it's all Dalvin, and we'll throw the ball sometimes. It is no, we'll throw, it's going to make sense, and everything we do right now takes advantage of the the potential weapons that we have, and really at this point in time, it all like has sort of clicked and you say, you know what, this makes sense totally as opposed to, I wonder why they did that. Okay, so we've talked about the offense. I think we've got a good feel for it. Do hey, you want quickly, to get into quickly. the defense? Okay, what yeah, do you got before that? Quickly, Thielen, no way he plays Thursday with, oh, with the hamstring. Definitely right? not, definitely not. Okay, I mean, this is, right. this is a game, especially at home, that you should win – Going away, no problem. You're 50 times more talented than Washington. They've got a, their second coach of the year. It's Case Keenum, maybe. Maybe it's Dwayne Haskins. I don't even know at this point who they're going to play at quarterback. Um, Adrian Peterson, unlikely to outrun anybody at this point. Their defense is okay, but it's not going to stop this team. I mean, this, this, this to me is a game where you say it's totally fine, Thielen. Take the extra 10 days. Come yep. back, play these games that are going to be much tougher against Kansas City, against Dallas. Uh, you know, get the bye week in there, get healthy. I mean, it seemed like Thielen in his postgame comments wanted to come back out and play, but he was also limping around there a lot. And mm-hmm. you don't want him, especially if it's a hamstring, you don't want that to be a Delvin Cook situation. Don't I? You know what I don't want to hear this week, Judd? I don't want to hear pitch count. Oh, we've got him on a pitch count this week. I agree. Week. Like, I'm with you. No, 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 no. Just sit him. 
BC yep. Johnson is playing super well. Irv yep. Smith is playing really well, and he's basically a wide receiver out there. So I, I see no reason whatsoever to play Thielen in a game against an opponent that you should truck, for sure. I, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely okay. with seeing him. He does not play. Okay, good. Now, defensively, yes. where, where do you want to go with this? Mike Zimmer Xavier after? Well, let, Xavier let me tell you what Mike Zimmer said after the game. He all said right. that they tried all sorts of different coverages and that the coverage just simply was not good enough. And on that last drive where they cruised down the field and scored and went for two and, and missed, they yep. said, basically, we, we can be a lot better than that. And Xavier Rhodes, I mean, Marvin Jones is a great player. been saying that for quite some time. The most underrated player in the NFL, in my opinion. He's never talked about as a star. He's a star. But my mm -hmm. gosh. I mean, he lit up Xavier Rhodes. Like, this should be the eye-opening, okay, Zimmer, this is it. Like, take the keys away from Xavier. This thing is done. Put in my cues. It's so sad, but it's absolutely true. And I would do this. I would start Rhodes on the short week on Thursday. And if he struggles, I I would come back for the Chiefs game and I would start Hughes and say, because Holton Hill coming back, correct? Week uh, nine, he's yes. coming back. Yeah, Okay, correct. he's coming back. Mike Hughes, I'm not saying he's perfect. He's young, but he's got more potential now. And Rhodes, the telling thing to, to me was on the touchdown pass to Jones, touchdown four that you're talking about to Jones, uh, Rhodes melted down yeah. like he yeah. melted down and you can't have that. And, and he didn't, I don't think he melted down because of, he got pushed off on. I don't, I think it has to do with, with the fact that he knows full well that, that the player that, that he was as recently as three years back. And that was a really good player is long gone. I'm not saying he doesn't play, but I think you definitely, and, and it seems like the last two or three games, his snap count has been adjusted. I think you probably have to take a long, hard look at going down a road where he plays less and less because, unfortunately now, it's gotten to the point where, in my mind, Rhodes cannot be counted on consistently, especially against elite wide receivers. And if there was nobody else to go to, I would say, well, look, you're just in a really tough spot and there's nothing you could do and you just got to hold on for dear life. But there is. In fact, like you said, Holton Hill's going to come back. And as much as Holton Hill has done to um, question his off-field activities, last year he was really good on the field. And in training camp, I thought he was really good and convinced them to keep him around uh, outside of one very stupid play in the preseason where he took off Paxton Lynch's head um, on a daily basis. He was a really good corner in training camp and probably convinced them through that. Like, well, he's still got that talent and you could play him. I see no reason to play Xavier Rhodes full games, trying to lock down top receivers as he has before. And maybe this was the last chance for him to be that lockdown shutdown receiver on Jones. But it sounded like, um, Mike Zimmer was dialing up anything he could come up with to try and help. But the reality was that Xavier Rose just could not handle Marvin Jones. He was too good. And there are going to be other receivers that they're playing throughout this year that are going to be just simply too good. Mike Hughes had his moments too. Stafford's a really good quarterback. It was playing great today. He was making throw. He made one throw where Daniil Hunter hit him in the chest and he still made an accurate throw. I mean, he was on his game. And uh, I thought the Lions offensive line, which um, has been improved and improved over the years through draft picks and free agency, same same thing. Like they were good today for the most part. So, so there's those factors as well. But when you look at the way Rhodes is played, it's been bubbling for a while now of, you know, how much longer can they keep running him out there and playing him 80 or 75% of snaps? 
And I think the answer is not anymore. And they've got guys behind him. They've got Hughes, who got beat a couple times, but is also a really talented first-round draft pick. And, yeah, you kind of have to pass the baton here. And it just – at this point – who cares about sunk cost? It does not matter how much you pay Xavier Rhodes. And I, I'd like to bring up this one example here, though, of where we have seen Mike Zimmer make this mistake in the past, and I wonder if he'll make it again. With Chad Greenway, when Greenway lost the fastball at the end of his career, Mike Zimmer continued to play Chad Greenway, and it absolutely killed their defense at times in 2016. And I remember the game against Indianapolis that we were talking about with uh, Alex Boone the other day, just they got a couple of tight ends in there and they got Chad Greenway on the field the whole game and took advantage of him. And I mean, that's kind of what opposing teams are doing now with Xavier Rhodes and Zimmer had loyalty to Greenway then, and he shouldn't have, he should have just said, you know what, we got to get somebody else in there. And with Rhodes, He's shown so much belief in him, but I think it's just time to say, look, there's only so far this can take you. You've you've been a great player for a really, really long time, and sometimes these things just run out of gas. And with corners, especially in their older age, that's how it goes. And I think that that's what's happened to Xavier Rhodes. He's beaten up, and he's just slowed down. And, and it's not like he's lost three steps, but he's probably lost a full step. And in this game, this league, that's a ton. How concerned – so so outside of Rhodes and, and what we've seen from this defense, especially uh, today in Detroit, Matthew, how concerned are you about the trend of the points? And, you know, on third down at one point, Detroit was something like five or seven or something crazy. Uh, how concerned should Mike be about that? And, and the one thing where I will give him credit is ordinarily if things start to melt down defensively, he's so good, he adjusts quickly. So – is that possible, or are there trends that you actually see in these last couple of games from watching this defense where it does look like it could be a problem outside of Rhodes' struggle? Well, I think these last two games, what we've seen is two very good quarterbacks. I mean, Carson Wentz is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Stafford is playing his best football since I don't know when. And Daryl Bevel had a great game today. I mean, he was doing the same stuff yeah. that except for the fourth down play call. Yeah, that was one of I, the stupidest play calls I've ever seen. Okay, I'm it wasn't. My guy Bev. It was not a kicker throwing the ball, so I can't say it was the stupidest thing I've even seen within the last two weeks. One of them, okay. One one of them is fine. But thirty for forty-five, four touchdowns for Matt Stafford, and the only pick came at the very end of the game when he was just desperately heaving it down the field. I mean, that's. He was impressive. He made throw after throw after throw. The one touchdown to Marvin Jones where he ran the quick out and beat Rhodes. What a throw, just right on the money. I mean, I think that that's the biggest reason that the Vikings off uh, defense has not been the same. But I would also say this. It's not going to be the number one defense in the NFL. We knew that it wasn't going to be. I mean, you're missing a few of the things that you had in the past when they were number one. When they were number one, they could island corner roads every game. Like, you know what a huge advantage that is when you could put one guy on the best player on the other team usually, which is a wide receiver? So that's one. They don't have Tom Johnson anymore. I know you guys laugh at me for my appreciation for Tom Johnson, but on, but on those third downs, Hercules Mata'afa not getting the job done. It, like, this guy is not Tom Johnson, who would consistently pressure up the middle. That's not happening anymore. Linval Joseph is not as dominant as he used to be. The two defensive ends are, and the two linebackers are are playing really well, especially Eric Hendricks. Uh, but when you take away one corner who was an elite player and now is a well-below-average player, 
uh, over the way he's played at the start of the season, I, th- I don't think you can expect them to be a number one defense and shut down every good quarterback. Like this is what good quarterbacks do in the NFL. And this is why it's so much more important that the Vikings have a top 10 offense if they want to be a legitimate contender. But it's going to drive Mike nuts. Like Mike is oh, yeah. going to be up day and night and day and night until Thursday now saying, how can I fix this? And and my, my guess is on Thursday against Washington, they'll do just fine because that's a really lousy football team. But it, it is it, it's weird because if you had told me coming out of the Bears game, hey, guess what? And I said, what? What's going on, Collar? And you said, <laughs> we're going to be talking about post-game Detroit. We're going to be talking about defensive deficiencies and offensive execution that's incredible. I'd say you are smoking something, Matthew, mm. and that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Because I'm the not surprised, though. Has looked fantastic. I am surprised the offense has looked this good, this consistently for three consecutive games. I'm pleasantly surprised, but I'm a little bit surprised. I think I picked, what did I pick, 31-24 or something? I thought I thought yeah. this would have I, a lot of offense to it. I just, th- I just thought coming out of Chicago, the quarterback was mind bleeped to a point where I said, I don't know if this, how this is going to go. And I am really impressed that that through the digs thing and through all, all the BS of that week, they've come back. And to his credit, Kirk has too and has looked really, really, really good. Yeah, yeah. And and Cousins wouldn't comment on his confidence or anything else like that. Um, and I know the broadcast said, you know, Kirk says he's playing with a chip on his shoulder. And I think you can attribute a lot of these things to whatever you want, like whatever sort of magical forces you like, if you like momentum, if you like confidence, if you like those things. And that, you know, some are real and some aren't. I think it's really just, the design of the offense that they yep. dreamed up in, yep. I don't know when, May, April, March last year, that they all got together at the end of last year and said, what went wrong with Kirk Cousins in his first year? Because you know what? It wasn't all Kirk Cousins. It was some Kirk Cousins, but it was not all. So what went wrong with this yep. with this player this year that we paid so much freaking money to? And they correctly assessed a lot of those things. And this is where when people want to fire Mike Zimmer, I'm always like, are you sure you want to do that? When they want to fire Rick Spielman, are you sure you want to do that? Because you look at the amount of talent that you have put on the field on a consistent basis through the draft, through free agency, mostly those players that you get through the draft and develop yourself, undrafted guys that start as special teamers who become really good players on either side of the ball. Like, are you sure that you want to move on from these guys, even if they only go, you know, nine and seven or something, because they've done a really good job overall um, Mm -hmm. putting cousins in in the right position. And now it's really just asking him to make the throws. And when they're there, he can make a lot of them. Yes. He'll make them. So I I don't think it's, I don't think it's cousins coming out after he was criticized by like Stephen A. Smith and say, you know what? Now I'm going to show the haters. I, I think it's more of just, this is, this is, the right way to go it's the right process and the results are coming with it i think that, that they've put him weekly now the last three games in a position to make throws that he can make and he makes them he's there there i don't think we've ever had a conversation where you or i at least matthew have said you know what kirk cousins has no god-given athletic talent oh, definitely not we've never said that we've definitely and, never and said we've that seen the pass in philadelphia last year unbelievable pass a gorgeous pass i think what we said is mentally can, can he combine the physical attributes, which he has, and he definitely has them, can he combine those with the mental capacity? And and this goes back to our weekly conversation of it really helps, too, if he can start pretty strong. Yep, 
Yep. And if you can start strong, get protection and also get the ball out. And and that's the one thing. It does feel like the protection's improved, but there has been a concerted effort to be smarter about the amount of time as well. And if he does hold, hold the ball now, it seems like it's bootlegs consistently now. It's yep. bootlegs. It's things that he's buying time. And this goes back to his physical attributes, which allow him, it's not pretty, he doesn't run well. It's not like, oh, look at Kirk Cousins run. Is that not a thing of beauty? It's sort of like me, chug, 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 <laughs> chug. But who cares? He can do it, and he's good enough. So it's fine. So um, my question is, obviously the weaknesses that exist in Kirk Cousins are not changing. The strengths are not changing. Tell me which one of these games, I'm going to go forward, you tell me which one of these games where the weaknesses might show up. Okay, because I'm looking at the rest of the schedule and there are opportunities for those cousins weaknesses to show up, but not that many. This week, we both agree. No, at Kansas City, I think it's possible because it's a road game, but that KC defense isn't really all that great. So we agree. Agree. On that one, right. Agree. Agree on the next two games with you. Here's the game that I think uh, is the next. And I don't want to write off KC entirely because Andy Reid is their coach and he's really good. Um, but th- that game could go like this game, even with Matt Moore, like Matt Moore can surprise you sometimes. And Andy Reid's a genius. So I wouldn't be surprised if this one has to go kind of back and forth, but yeah. Dallas at Dallas on national television, November 10th is to me the next great cousins test that Dallas defense has a lot of talent on it. It's not always perfect, but it's at home in Dallas. That's a much tougher place to play than Ford field. Their offense, when it gets hot can be really good with Dak Prescott and Kellen Moore is their play caller. That game will be our next time to say, you know what? He really showed up, and especially since it's national TV. My two games that that I I have about five circles around for each are that game against Dallas and and then coming out of the bye, primetime game Monday night in Seattle. Not because the uh, Seattle defense is so great, but because it's a mind bleep game possibly for Kirk. Yeah. And so can you go back there? Can you go back there and and it's primetime, the lights are on, national telecast, and you look across the sideline and there is Russell Wilson, who, by the way, doesn't give a bleep who you are, who your defense is. Um, so those two games, to me, are are mentally taxing games for Kirk, and I'm very curious about both Dallas and at Seattle. All right. Well, we'll have a quick turnaround for this one, so it'll be a fun week. Yeah, sure. Okay, last question for me to you. Um, can you begin to even comprehend w- what a penalty is now? Oh, do we have to? Well, no, we do because it's ridiculous because Zim, Zim is like, we've got to cut down on penalties. And I would say to him, Mike, in your player's defense, I can't tell you Eric Wilson mugged the tight end Yes, on, on a third down Absolutely. Play. Absolutely. Not called at all. They are throwing that flag all day long, which, by the way, okay, I don't like that, but you're doing it, so you're doing it. So flag, flag, flag. Okay. Eric Wilson mugs the Lions tight end, so it should be first and ten. Game's still close, and they don't flag it. So, like, in Mike's, de- you know, in Mike's player's defense or Patricia's player's defense, I can't begin to tell you. I know what a penalty is. I can't begin to tell you when they're going to enforce them. And I just get exhausted with, well, that looked like it. Well, that yeah. didn't look like it. I can't really tell. And football has always been a lot of that. But this year, it has just gone up. And now they're starting to find players because Clay Matthews tweeted yes. out that he doesn't know Great what a penalty point. is. And, and yep. uh, Baker Mayfield said he doesn't know what a penalty is. And those guys are not wrong at all. They're the same feeling that I've been hearing from 
players off the record because they don't want to get fined either. But the conversations that we're having as journalists trying to figure out just how to decide, because usually we're kind of like, okay, what did we all think? Was, was that really a penalty? Was it not? Should it have been called? Did it impact the game is what we're looking for. And there's a lot of them that impacted this game. How about, I mean, I know everyone on Twitter thought that Justin Coleman mugged BC Johnson. I really didn't. I thought that they were kind of pushing and shoving and Coleman didn't do much different. And that's an interception that ends up being not an interception. And then like you said, Eric Wilson was all over the guy. Even the fourth down play that you referenced as the worst call of the day. Kendrick's hits the running back before the ball is there. And I know. I don't know if that was five within five yards bumping or not. And, uh, you know, it could have been a thing you look at, but I don't know. I mean, it feels like every single game we're having the same conversation. Is it or isn't it a penalty? And I am tired, Judd. I'm very well, tired of that. I am too. But but to me, what, what we saw with calls and non-calls today went beyond replay and review. Right. It's just, a, just bad calls. Are you throwing these things? Yep. Are you not going to throw them and when? I mean, just please somebody tell me when. Yeah. No, I have um, completely lost my sense for that. And I don't think that's going to change because it's clear that the points of emphasis that the NFL has laid out have increased the penalties by quite a bit. And that's yep. constantly impacting games. And if, you know, if the numbers weren't there, then I would be the guy who said, look, it's not any different than football has always been, but it is. Right. It definitely is. So, anyway. All right. I just, I, I need help there. I really need help. I need counseling. Yeah. <laughs> For many reasons, probably. Well, yeah, that's right. true. Beyond. Yeah. Uh, right. Okay. So this week on Purple Daily, we're going to have uh, Sage Rosenfels twice. We'll have Alex Boone twice, Courtney Cronin in on Tuesday. And uh, it'll be great on Thursday. We get to preview a game that night with Alex Boone. That'll be lots of fun. Don't forget to die at Zolga, too. Don't leave me out. Yeah. Come on. Oh, yeah. Um, sure. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you'll stop by when I don't have anyone else. A nice, nice up. Um, <clears throat> uh, anyway, all right, let's uh, wrap it up then. <laughs> okay, we'll be back uh, tomorrow every day, 2 to 4 on AM 1500 or scorenorth.com or wherever you get your podcast. We podcast every single show. So we will see you then. Listen to Purple Daily. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.